Hello everyone and welcome to Classic Gaming Today, where we take a look at the gaming experiences of the past through the eyes of the present. I am your host Tony, and today we're going to be talking about Blue Force, a point-and-click adventure game developed by Tsunami Media and released in 1993 for the Microsoft DOS computer platform. We're going to be talking about that in just a couple minutes, but first, as is customary, we have a little bit of housekeeping to start things off. This is episode number 13 of the podcast. This has been an amazing experience. I have loved doing it. I hope you guys have all enjoyed it. If you would like to reach out to me, I do want to build a community. So if you have any feedback, advice, guidance, suggestions, just want to talk about classic games, I would love to hear from you. And there are a couple ways you can reach out to me. I have an email address with the email classicgamingtoday at gmail.com. I also have a Twitter account with the handle at ClassicGamingT. So if you have any ideas or would like to reach out, feel free to do so. I can't wait to hear from you. For anyone who may be new, welcome. I just want to go really quickly over the anatomy of an episode because, for the most part, every single episode follows the same kind of structure. We will start by talking about the history of the game in question. What is its historical context within the overall computer and video game industry? And once we talk about the history and how the game was made, we'll then dive into a pseudo-review kind of section. And I say pseudo-review because it's not like we assign a numeric ranking or rating to the games, but we do talk about each of the games in terms of a few different perspectives, such as graphics. How does the game look? Do the graphics hold up today? Sound and music. How does the game sound? Does it sound awesome or does it make your eardrums want to bleed? The narrative or story of the experience, if the game has one, the overall playability and controls, and then the overall feel. How does the game feel to play today in 2020, whatever, versus when it was made 30 or 25 or however many years ago? We do all that to reach a verdict as far as does this game hold up today, and to do that, we assign each game to one of several categories. At the very top of our list is the Pantheon of Classic Gaming. If a game reaches the Pantheon, it is just that darn good. You should still play it today. I highly recommend it. It's basically just an instant classic, and it plays just as well today as it did back when it was released. It is as fun to play when as when it was released. You should just play the game. Just below the Pantheon are our Golden Oldies. These are games that are still really good games. They may have aged a little bit, but... I still highly recommend you play them, especially if you have nostalgia for the game itself or you enjoy the genre, you should play the game. It is still a pretty darn good experience. Moving on from the Golden Oldies, we get to the Mediocre Mentions. These start to be the games that I cannot recommend in good conscience. You still might have a good time, but generally speaking, these games have aged not all that well. Uh, there might be some other issues with them that just make them not really all that great to play today. So I can't really recommend anybody to play them unless you have particular fondness for the game or the genre in which it lives. And then finally, we reach the footnotes. These are the games that are best left in the annals of history. I have played them, so you don't have to. These games I cannot recommend at all. They have either aged incredibly poorly, or they just weren't that great to begin with. With that out of the way, we're going to start talking about the game of the day. That is Blue Force. Blue Force. 
Blue Force is a point-and-click adventure game developed by Tsunami Media and released in 1993 for the Microsoft DOS computer platform. And I will say, Blue Force is probably a little less well-known than some of the other games that we've covered. And we will talk about why that is and kind of where it sits in the historical context. But before we can talk about Blue Force itself, we have to recognize that Blue Force and Tsunami Media itself probably wouldn't exist if not for Sierra Online. So let's talk about Sierra Online. I love talking about Sierra, by the way. Sierra is one of the big two adventure game developers from the 80s into the 90s, and I have a great amount of fondness for Sierra. So let's talk about that a little bit and see where it sits in relation to what would eventually become Blue Force. Sierra was founded by Ken and Roberta Williams, and their focus was on adventure titles. So these are games that, and they evolved over time. The original Sierra games actually developed under a company called Online Systems, which was the predecessor to Sierra. The very first adventure game they created was a game called Mystery House, and that was actually something that Roberta Williams had developed. It was a very primitive kind of game. It didn't have any point-and-click kind of elements because I don't even know that a mouse exists. I don't even know mice existed back then. So it was really more of a text parser kind of interface. They did have some rudimentary graphics on the screen, but that basically started the whole company down the path of adventure games and creating adventure games. Started with text parser kinds of games, meaning you would actually sit down and type in the actions that you wanted to do. It wasn't like you would pick from a verb list or use a mouse to click around the screen. If you were in the middle of a room, you would literally have to type, talk to whoever, and then your character would talk or walk to the door and your character would walk to the door. So it was a, a little bit more of a direct interaction kind of thing with the keyboard and actually typing in those actions that would eventually evolve into point and click adventure games, which certainly use the mouse and you can move around and click on the screen itself. And some games had verb lists on the screen. Others used different icons or ways of representing those actions. But Sierra was at the forefront of all of that. Uh, the other big adventure game company at the time was Lucasfilm or LucasArts, as it would eventually be known. Those were really the two heavy hitters in the adventure game genre. So that's just a little bit of the adventure game kind of aspect of Sierra. Sierra was a big adventure game company. Um, now, it would change the face of gaming, and this goes beyond adventure games. And the real focus of Sierra was they wanted to become one of the biggest distributors of software for computers that would ever live. I mean, they wanted to really change the world. And in order to do that, they focused on hiring high quality developers and designers. And the reason for that was they figured if they had the right talent in house, they would be able to create pretty much anything that they wanted to do. Um, this was very significant, not just from a creative standpoint, but also from a business perspective, because the more talent that they had under their roof, the better they would be able to publish those titles, the better they would have a bigger, stronger or uh, larger foothold, I should say, in the industry. And then that would enable them to then also develop additional publishing deals with other companies and just continue to grow and grow and grow. So adventure games in the 80s and 90s in particular were a pretty big deal. And they were definitely a big deal for Sierra. Uh, most of Sierra's earlier titles 
uh, and we're talking early 80s, mid 80s-ish kind of titles, were really focused on fantasy kind of things. And that doesn't necessarily mean medieval kind of fantasy, but there wasn't much realism depicted in Sierra's earlier titles. Ken Williams had a desire to expand their offerings and create a more realistic game, and he wanted to create something focused on the gritty world that many police officers needed to operate in. Navigating seedy dealings, being in the line of fire, bringing criminals to justice, and following actual police procedure. This was a dream that Ken Williams had. He wanted to make sure that that company, that Sierra, could make that game. But he was also a big believer in allowing Sierra's designers to do what they do best. Roberta Williams, as an example, she enjoyed fantasy. The whole reason that she started making computer games in the first place was because she played Colossal Cave Adventure back in the late 70s and thought, wow, this is amazing. I want to create a fantasy kind of world, fantasy experience. Therefore, she created King's Quest. So she was a natural fit there. She loved fantasy, so obviously she's going to make something that is in the kind of genre that she enjoys. Al Lowe, another example, he was an aspiring comedian. So all of the zany antics that you would see in Leisure Suit Larry, that made perfect sense for him to helm. Unfortunately, Ken Williams didn't have somebody on staff that he thought could create a realistic police adventure. He wanted a real cop, but he didn't have any real cops available to him. So the whole idea around creating a gritty police adventure kind of game kind of went on the back burner. He just didn't have the right person on staff to be able to do that. So around the time that Sierra was beginning to grow as a prominent game developer, a highway patrolman named Jim Walls was involved in an incident that would change his life forever. So let's talk a little bit about Jim Walls. He had been a member of the California Highway Patrol since his graduation from the police academy back in 1971. And over the course of his career, he'd take on various assignments and seemingly was pretty content with what he was doing and his overall job. He was pretty much satisfied from what I could tell. Unfortunately, one day in January of 1984, he pulled over an individual for what he believed would be a routine traffic stop, but that would quickly escalate into a shootout with a recent parolee. That individual would eventually be apprehended and sentenced to a 23-year prison sentence. But upon entering prison, the individual told another inmate that he was going to escape and hunt down the officer who pulled him over. That, of course, was Jim Walls. It turns out that the individual Walls pulled over did, in fact, escape from prison after he made that claim, and he remained at large for two years before being caught again. So that event, this this person that Jim Walls had pulled over that turned into a shootout was arrested eventually, but then escaped from prison. That event would change Walls' life forever. The fact that an escaped criminal was potentially coming after him caused all sorts of psychological issues, as anybody would expect. Until finally, around a year after the incident, Walls was placed on administrative leave to evaluate his current condition. During this time, Ken Williams was still thinking about his idea for a gritty police-based adventure game, and during a routine haircut, he learned that his hairdresser's husband had been a police officer. It turns out that uh, Ken Williams' hairdresser, her husband, was Jim Walls, and because Ken had heard that Jim Walls wasn't actively on the force since he was on leave, uh, Ken Williams asked his hairdresser to have her husband give him a call. 
Eventually, Walls did contact Ken Williams, and after a game of racquetball, which, by the way, might be one of the most 80s things I've heard in a long time, the two sat down to have drinks and begin talking about Ken's unrealized police adventure game. He asked Jim Walls if he wouldn't mind jotting down just a short couple-page story based on some of his experiences as a cop. Uh, Walls did so, and when he returned, Ken asked him to expand it a little bit more, adding some additional details. So what started as just a page or two outline of a story, Ken continued to ask him to just flesh out some more of the details, add a little bit more each time. And this continued for a while, with Ken Williams asking Jim Walls to go back and forth and add additional details and keep keep adding to the story, until eventually this whole process gave Walls a renewed focus and actually led to him quitting the police force entirely in 1986, at which point he decided to remain with Sierra to help create this new adventure game series, which any adventure aficionados among us will likely recognize was the birth of the Police Quest series. I do want to say that I found it interesting how Ken Williams effectively made the process of making a game very easy for Jim Walls. There was actually an interview that was conducted years later, and Walls admitted that he didn't even know how to turn a computer on when he started working with Ken Williams and when Williams started to ask him to jot down some ideas for a police-based short story. Oftentimes, according to Walls, he would type his work into the computer using just the index fingers on each hand, like like <laughs> what the stereotype of the older father, let's say, from a 1990s, early 1990s kind of sitcom would do, just kind of single index finger clicking across the keyboard. So to say Walls was not well-versed with computers would be an absolute understatement. But because Ken Williams knew how to get what he needed from his designers and how to help them fulfill his vision, it didn't really matter. Williams believed that if you had the right kinds of creative people, the technology piece would come together. And there are other stories of Williams hiring people with absolutely no programming experience to create highly successful games for Sierra. In this instance, Williams was successful in converting Jim Walls into a game designer, and the result of that effort was the release of Police Quest 1 in pursuit of the Death Angel in 1987. Now, Police Quest took the Sierra adventure game formula and injected a sense of reality into what had previously been a product catalog focused entirely on fantasy and comedy. And to do that, Police Quest would really strive for realism. They did that in a couple different ways. When you play the game, in the game, you would actually utilize real police codes for various crimes that were happening across the city. And those police codes were included in the manual for reference. You also had to follow real police procedure when dealing with suspects, crimes, and all of that other good police kind of procedural stuff. And the game punished you pretty severely if you failed to follow that procedure. Now, there was an overarching story arc that focused on bringing a villain to justice, as is often the case, but it was a much darker adult-oriented story than what Sierra had created to date. Because of that realism, the game really made you feel like a police officer, and I've got to admit... I loved the Police Quest series. I still love the Police Quest series. I got really into the whole police thing and the whole police procedural kind of stuff. I ended up looking up codes in the manual for different crimes. I would, I almost memorized, or I did memorize the codes that were in the manual for the various police crimes and the different codes that would be associated with it because I just became immersed and enamored 
with the whole thing. You also had to navigate the map in the game to find where those crimes were taking place. You had a pseudo driving interface that you were able to use to navigate the city. And it really made you feel like you were a cop or at a minimum, it made you feel like you were playing a cop on a police procedural television show, like an NYPD blue kind of thing, which by the way, after I played police quest, I started watching NYPD blue because I guess I'm just a nerd, but independent of that, it really recreated or created that sense that you were part of something. You were you were taking on this realistic sense of duty and you were acting as a cop and trying to prevent crime and to solve crimes in this fictional city. Like I said, when you failed or when you didn't follow police procedure, ooh, there could be some pretty significant ramifications to that failure. Some of them might not be too deadly, I'll say. Like, if you fail to inspect your car before you actually take a ride in it, your car might break down. And that's an inconvenience, but certainly something that was considered a failure in terms of the game. There were other, some more severe ramifications. So as an example, if you didn't frisk a subject before you arrested him, you could almost be guaranteed that he or she would shoot you, you would die, and you would have to restart the game. And there were any number of these things built into the game. And I get it. What they were trying to do was create a true, realistic police procedural. And Jim Walls, having been on the force, had a lot of understanding around what needed to be done in order to do real police work. They built that, or at least most of that, into the game and uh, some of the ramifications for some of the police procedural failures, not necessarily unrealistic, but within the confines of the game and how they kind of bundled it together, kind of felt a little excessive at times. It, it steered away from the game aspect of things and kind of went a little bit more into that. They really pushed on the realism aspect, which once again, I loved. I know that Police Quest is not universally loved, because some people didn't like some of those aspects of the game. I personally did enjoy it. And actually, it was funny because the realism that was built into the game was so realistic that, and this might be an urban myth, I don't know. I don't know this for an absolute fact. But I have read that Police Quest was supposedly used as a training tool for police officers. Once again, take that with a grain of salt. It sounds almost too urban legendy to be true, but it seems like that was something that was possible considering that there was a lot of realism baked into the game specifically as it related to true police procedure. So with Walls, now a staff member of the Sierra team, work proceeded on additional police quest adventures as well as an offshoot project called Codename Iceman, which incidentally was also a game with a strict focus on following proper procedures. You kind of get the sense that Jim Walls was big on the procedure thing, which is totally fine. Like I said, I enjoyed it in Police Quest, but kind of funny that every game he touched, he tried to build in some sort of procedure into the overall game framework. Unfortunately, as time moved on, Jim Walls would become less enthused about continuing to create games in the Police Quest series, and he would even become less involved in the third iteration of the game. He kind of really stepped back from the overall development, and it required other game designers to jump in and finish the game, with probably the most prominent or well-known designer who worked on Police Quest 3 to help finish it being Jane Jensen, who many might 
remember or recognize was the creative force behind the Gabriel Knight series of games. So as Jim Wall's dedication to Sierra faltered a bit, uh, Sierra Chief Financial Officer, or at least the Sierra Chief Financial Officer at the time, Edmund Heinbockel, decided to leave Sierra to start his own game development company. And because he had access to one of the more talented rosters of developers and designers in the industry, he was able to persuade a number of those individuals from Sierra to join him in his new venture. That all led to, in 1991, the formation of a new company called Tsunami Media, and with it, several longtime employees, including Jim Walls, left to join the new company's startup. At its inception, Tsunami Media was determined to take what they had learned working in Sierra and do it better. So as a result, they decided that they would begin their new company by focusing on the kinds of titles that Sierra was known for at the time, which, like we talked about, was primarily the point-and-click adventure game genre. Tsunami developed its own game engine, similar to the venerable Sierra SCI, or Sierra Creative Interpreter engine, that powered most of Sierra's adventures from the late 80s on. So Sierra did have, just for everybody's awareness, a couple of different engines that they utilized over the course of their history. The first, I believe, was called AGI, which was Adventure Game Interpreter. This was what was used for a number of their earlier adventure game titles, and then that eventually evolved into the SCI, or Sierra Creative Interpreter, which was used for most of their later adventure games starting from around the late 80s into the 90s. Tsunami couldn't reuse one of those engines because they weren't Sierra, so they had to create a new engine, and they named its engine T-S-Age, which I'm assuming stood for Tsunami Age. A-G-E, I'm assuming, stood for Adventure Game Engine. These are a lot of assumptions. I have no idea if that's the case, but the way it was written kind of suggests to me that the T-S-A-G-E was the Tsunami Adventure Game Engine. But once again, I have no proof for that. I just like sometimes trying to figure out what different acronyms mean. But that engine, regardless of what it actually meant, would end up being used in almost all of Tsunami's games over the course of its lifetime. And one of the first titles that they released using this new engine was based on the Ringworld series of novels by Larry Niven. Entitled Ringworld Revenge of the Patriarch, the game was released in 1993 to pretty much unfavorable critical response. And actually, later in 1996, it would be voted as the 14th worst computer game of all time by Computer Gaming World magazine. Many companies would kind of be affected by a response like that and not really getting all that great feedback, but not Tsunami Media. They turned to Jim Walls, and what they asked him to do was to recapture the old Police Quest magic and create a brand new police procedural adventure game. That game is what would eventually become Blue Force. Now, interestingly, Blue Force doesn't really have a whole lot of specific info around its development. And I can only guess and say that's probably because it failed to sell well at all and would, similar to Ringworld, be poorly received by most of the gaming press. And it actually was also on the list of worst PC games ever released back in 1996 when Computer Gaming World did their overall analysis and list of all of those bad computer games. So... This was a becoming a trend for Tsunami Media, but I don't want anybody to think that the team actually set out to create an inferior product. In fact, there were a number of ways that Tsunami 
really push the envelope for the game, for Blue Force in particular, even beyond, or at least on par with what Sierra was doing. So as an example, with music, they brought on Ken Allen. He had composed music for Space Quest, King's Quest, and other Sierra titles. So he was brought on to create the music for Blue Force. They also decided to use digitized actors on top of backgrounds, which was very similar in style to what Police Quest 3 and other adventure games of the time were utilizing. So this wasn't quite full motion video per se, but they did take digitized video of actors, or they took video of actors, and then they digitized it and put kind of talking heads into the title superimposed on top of traditional point-and-click adventure game backgrounds. So in this way, at least they were kind of on par with what Sierra was doing. They also streamlined the interface for character conversations and inventory management. Now, we'll talk about that a little bit when we get into our pseudo-review, just exactly how the conversation system or the dialogue system works in this game. Uh, I personally think they simplified it too much, but they did streamline it beyond what Sierra had. As far as inventory management, they did have a very simple inventory system, which worked within the confines of the game. So once again, trying to do things on par, if not better than Sierra, whether they succeeded or not, we'll get to that in a few minutes when we start talking about the review. But perhaps Tsunami's most innovative feature was the whole concept of what they called get injected, which, you know, this is not about vaccines or anything like that. But what they were really trying to look at was how can you inject yourself into their games? And the way they would do this is you could record yourself on a VHS tape, which anybody who remembers those, raise your hand, but you could record yourself on this VHS tape. You could send the footage over to Tsunami And for just 30 U.S. dollars in 1993 dollars, they would send you a floppy disk with you as a character that you could then install into the game and see yourself on screen. Honestly, that's kind of awesome. And if I had known about this at the time, this is something I would have loved to have done. I would have loved to have actually seen myself on the screen of a computer game. Now, I know that that would only be for me. It's not like this was a broadly connected kind of networked experience where everybody would be able to see your avatar or see your character on the screen. It would just be for you, the player who paid the money and could get, and could actually install it locally and see yourself on the screen. Regardless, I still think it's kind of awesome. I would have loved to do it. It is absolutely unnecessary. This is not something that anybody would need, but it was awesome nonetheless. I don't know. I couldn't find any information as far as how many times people actually did that or actually took advantage of that feature. I know I would have because, once again, I am a nerd and I would have loved to have seen myself in a computer game, even if it was just a uh, special kind of thing built in for the game itself. Anyway, I will provide my own personal critique around all of this stuff once we get to the review section. So just stay tuned for another few minutes for that. As far as legacy for Blue Force, there really isn't any. More specifically, Blue Force as a game has next to no legacy. I would wager a bet that many people may even be unaware that it exists. It never reached the heights of the Police Quest series in terms of overall recognition, sales, or critical response. Tsunami Media as a company 
they would still go on to release several full motion video titles with Man Enough being my favorite for being, I'm sorry, just awful, but in a fun way. And that was basically an early dating simulator full motion video game kind of thing. It is not a good game by any stretch of the imagination. It is one of those, it's really bad and maybe so bad it's good, but pretty much just bad. Regardless, they went on to make games like that, and their last game was released in 1996. Jim Walls, though, as a creator, certainly has a legacy, and his life experiences absolutely helped shape the stories that he told in his games. While he's most fondly remembered for the Police Quest series, you shouldn't entirely discount his other efforts during what would effectively be a second career following his retirement from police work. He's currently also retired from the games industry, but back in 2013, there was an effort by Walls to create a spiritual successor to Police Quest, and I guess Blue Force? Uh, it was entitled Precinct, and Walls was looking to create the next generation of police procedural adventure titles. Once again, all about that procedure. Um, the effort did get as far as a Kickstarter launch, but it ultimately failed to get any traction. He tried some other crowdfunding efforts after that, Unfortunately, those were all similarly unsuccessful. Now, my own personal opinion here is that I think a modern police quest kind of game would be awesome. If it ever happens, I would absolutely and gladly support it because, like I said, I really enjoyed the police quest series. While not many people may remember Blue Force, though, it still stands as a curiosity in computer gaming history an experiment in recreating the Sierra magic that seemed to pervade all of their titles in the 80s and early 90s. Blue Force may not stand as tall as Police Quest in the world of adventure game titles, and Tsunami Media may have never reached the heights in which Sierra Online made their home, but that doesn't mean the game or the company should be totally forgotten. We are now going to transition into the review portion of the discussion. We're going to be talking about Blue Force, which, like we said, is a point-and-click adventure game released back in 1993. Now, this is a third-person point-and-click adventure game, and I believe this is the first third-person point-and-click adventure game that we've covered as part of this podcast. So I do want to talk just very briefly, just in case there's anybody out there who may not recognize what a third-person point-and-click adventure game is, I just want to give a brief definition so that we're all starting from the same perspective. So the the first adventure game we talked about as part of this podcast was the game Ripper, and that was way back in episode two, I think. And that was a first person adventure game where basically you navigated environments, you clicked around the screen, it would move you to different locations. The third person point and click adventure game is similar to that, except you can actually see your character. So in a third person adventure game, you click around the screen, you usually have various actions that you can perform on objects in the screen or on characters on the screen. Basically, anything that is visible, you can either navigate to or interact with in some capacity. 
you would always see your character on the screen and you would move your character, at least in modern adventure titles, or I'll say modern as it relates to the early 90s, with a mouse interface. Earlier adventure titles would use a keyboard interface like we were talking about a little bit ago with some of Sierra's early titles. So oftentimes, third-person adventure games would have a number of different icons or actions that you can use on various characters and or objects in the game world. Things like talk, open, push, use, uh, those kind of things were all built in, and each adventure game kind of had their own style of what actions would be available. And in Sierra games, most of the time, there were icons that represented those actions, on or in LucasArts games, they started with some uh, actual verb lists that were on the screen and then eventually evolved into more graphical iconography kind of elements. So that's pretty much the way third-person adventure games worked. A lot of them had some sort of narrative structure that would split the game across multiple days or chapters or something like that. Uh, most of them had an overarching storyline, and a lot of times when you would have dialogue with characters, you would oftentimes have to ask questions about any number of potential topics. And a lot of adventure games had a pretty free form kind of dialogue option. And I say free form, not that you'd be able to type things in, but you would basically, as you would go through the game, a lot of times your character would hear different things or find out different pieces of information, and that would start building a list of potential questions that you can ask pretty much any character about from a dialogue perspective. And what that often led to was you'd have a couple of key topics that a character you were talking to may have information on, and then you'd have around 20 other topics that they may not have information on. But because it's an adventure game, you would click through every single one of those dialogue options anyway, because you never know when somebody is going to have a critical piece of information. And oftentimes what would end up happening is you'd ask somebody something and they would give some sort of rote response like, I don't know anything about that, or beats me, or and sometimes the games would randomize the responses, which was kind of cool because hearing the same exact thing 20 times over and over and over again can get a little old. So I've always appreciated games that would randomize or mix it up a little bit with some of those responses. I will say that, and this is a total tangent by the way, if anybody ever played Broken Sword, I loved their dialogue system because even if you asked people about the most silly things that had no relation to what they were actually responsible for or what you were talking to them for, they would still have a unique response about that item. It had to be a ton of work to get that in. Anyway, this there is a point here when we start talking about the dialogue system for Blue Force, but just want to make sure everybody has awareness of what we're talking about with the whole third-person point-and-click adventure game experience. So, now, moving away from the general and moving more into the specifics around Blue Force. Blue Force was pretty much a typical third-person point-and-click adventure game. Its narrative was split into four days. You would navigate various environments, and there was an overworld map that you could navigate to different areas of the world. And this worked very similarly to what you might have seen in if you ever played Gabriel Knight, Sins of the Fathers, or other games that had an overworld map that you would click on individual locations, and then they would navigate you or you would navigate to a given location you would go there and there'd be different things to do unfortunately in blue force there really wasn't all that much to do there were a good amount of locations in the overworld map but if you would go to those different locations unless there was a story related thing to do there really wasn't much in terms of additional flavor around there and we'll talk more about that in a couple minutes 
Within Blue Force, you had a very typical kind of um, action, verb action kind of in interaction with the environment. You did have an inventory where objects could be stored. You were able to have conversations with other characters, though, like we were talking about, that was pretty simplified for most adventure games that were around at the time. Before we get into the more specific aspects around things like graphics, sound, narrative for the game, I do want to read the back of the box because, like we've talked about in the past, a lot of times in the earlier 90s or the 80s, as far as what you would actually buy or why you would buy something, a lot of times it was driven by what was written on the box. And the people who designed the box, the marketing companies or the development teams, they had to figure out a way to grip you. So I do want to read what the back of Blue Force's box says. So, Blue Force, back of the box, says, Police File, Ryan Double Homicide, June 14th, 1983. Case status, unsolved. Recommended source, Lyle Jameson. Attending officer's comments Tuesday, June 14th, 1983, at approximately 10 p.m., Lieutenant John Ryan and his wife were brutally murdered in their home. Both victims were pronounced dead at the scene, having suffered multiple gunshot wounds. There are no suspects at this time. The Ryans are survived by an only son, Jake, which, by the way, is kind of the backstory for the overall narrative. Then it says, now it's your turn. You are Jake Ryan, rookie motorcycle cop. Ten years have passed since the unsolved murder of your parents, but threads of evidence still exist. Teamed with your father's partner, you begin to weave the all-but-forgotten strands together. As your past comes into focus, the line between justice and vengeance begins to blur. Will the truth force you over the line? Blue Force, the only way you'll know. Game features include smooth animation through the use of fully digitized actors. Quick reaction interface gives you the speed you'll need to survive high-pressure situations. Authentic police procedures help guide your investigation. Digitized sound effects and dynamic original music provide pulse-pounding excitement. True-to-life action, intrigue, suspect arrests, and gunfights, and challenging multi-layered gameplay. And then there is actually a little biography, a short biography of Jim Walls on the back of the box as well. So looking at that, if I were me looking at that back in 1990 something, 1993, I would say, hey, that sounds like it might be just like Police Crest. I will probably pick it up. So with that, let's look at the individual elements of the game and see if it does, in fact, hold up. And we'll start by talking about the graphics. The style was very reminiscent of Sierra Adventure titles of the time. All of the backgrounds for the game were fairly detailed. The characters were digitized actors, which were superimposed on that background. And the digitized actors looked good. Overall, it was pretty competent. I mean, there was a fairly competent job from a graphical perspective. The character artwork was pretty good, though I will say the animated lip syncing, and I use that term very use, uh, loosely, <laughs> lip syncing is when you kind of like match the the lips moving on an animated character with the actual words that are being said. There was no real lip syncing here. It kind of felt like walking or watching a talking head with the chin just moving up and down, almost like a Monty Python sketch a little bit. So, yeah, not really great on the lip syncing front. Plus, there was no actual voice acted dialogue. So all of the lip syncing was just around the words that were being displayed in text on the screen. So it's kind of dependent on your reading speed anyway. 
meh, it's okay, I guess. I felt like they could have done a little bit better there. It wasn't quite as extreme as like the Monty Python sketch like I was referencing, but it's pretty clear that there was no attempt at the characters actually looking like they were saying the text that was on the screen. It felt like any other adventure title, really, in 1993, for the most part, from a graphics perspective, nothing really to write home about here. There was nothing special about it. If I look at it from today's perspective, honestly, the graphics still kind of hold up. I could definitely see a modern-day adventure game studio kind of release that tries to mimic Blue Force's style. There really weren't any complaints from a graphics standpoint. All of the usable objects were easy to see on the screen, but there, except for one, I will say there was a long hook pole that was needed late in the game, which was not easy to see from my perspective. Um, But hey, maybe I just missed it multiple times. Anyway, the environments were defined well enough. Everything with the graphics was okay. It wasn't stellar, but not bad at all. So moving on to the sound and music, The music in the game, if you take them as individual tracks, music was all fine, and they were pretty similar to other adventure titles of the time. But I do have a complaint here, and my main complaint isn't really related to the music itself, but more the music chosen for each scene in the game. In some cases, the music felt like it fit with the current situation, which is great. That's exactly what you want. In other cases, the music felt really out of place. And I recall one sequence in the game that was supposed to be a really tense standoff kind of situation, but the music almost sounded like a circus soundtrack. I will say that that was probably the most egregious example of the music not fitting in with the game, but there were others peppered throughout the overall experience. So the music, if I think about it just from a musicality perspective, none of the tracks were bad. It was just the tracks as lined up or as aligned with the game experience itself left a little bit to be desired. Now, interestingly, there was both a three and a half inch floppy disk version of the game as well as a CD-ROM version. And most of the time, and I think you guys pretty much are aware of this because we've talked a little bit about it in prior episodes, but most of the time when a company releases a CD version of their game, that meant that you're going to get some sort of enhanced experience. So you may get voice acting, you may get video sequences, you may get fully CD audio uh, music in there. Somehow they are taking the experience of the floppy disk version and they are making it better. They're enhancing it. They are giving you kind of the definitive edition of that particular game. With Blue Force, all you really got is an audio interview with Jim Walls and audio tracks where the game soundtrack was recomposed using an electric organ. That's kind of odd just a little bit of a weird kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking there. It's not like they had to do a ton, but I would have expected a little bit more. If you're going to release your game or re-release your game on CD, I would expect there to be more of an improvement there. I wouldn't expect them to just kind of take the floppy disk version, flop, uh, plop it on there, and then just add an interview effectively. It was like, okay, the least possible effort to go forward and print some CDs or press some CDs. I don't know. It just felt like they could have done that differently. And I know that's not purely a sound or music kind of thing, but it just felt weird. And the reason I put it there is because there was an audio component of it since Jim Wall's interview was included on the CD, but not in the floppy disk version. Still, I don't know if that was the best use of those CDs. As far as sound effects go, 
they were entirely forgettable. And I'm trying to think back right now to having played the game. I can't honestly say that I remember any sound effects in the game. I'm sure they were there, I think. I just can't remember, and I can't say that they really added anything to the overall experience. So sound-wise, eh, not, not anything not anything particularly great there. Now, now a different story. As with most adventure games, there is a pretty detailed story here, and we're going to dive deep into this story because it's, uh, well, it's interesting to me, and I have some comments. So you play as Jack Ryan, who is a new police academy graduate who just joined the force. You come from a long line of police officers. And if you read the manual, in the manual, there's actually more of the backstory that talks about how your father's father's father was a cop, and then his son was a cop, and it kind of like goes down this entire lineage of cops in the Ryan family. So you come from that long line of police officers. Years earlier, when you were a kid, your father and mother were killed as the result of a case that your father had been working undercover, and that case was never solved, despite the best efforts of your father's partner over the years, and he has since retired from the force and works as a private investigator at the time of the game. That event, the murder of your mother and father, continues to haunt you to this day, and it's one of the main reasons that why you wanted to become a cop in the first place. Now, the game starts by introducing you to police work in a style very similar to that of Police Quest. Procedure, as with Police Quest, is the name of the game here, and if you fail to follow the procedure, it's almost a guarantee that you're going to die. And some of those scenes, by the way, are pretty darn gruesome. I remember one where um, I think you had to clean your gun. Yeah, I believe this is what it was. You had to clean your gun. And if you failed to unload your gun when you went to clean it, they literally had like a digitized mini video of you getting shot in the head because you forgot to take the bullets out of your gun before you cleaned it. Now, I will say that actually from a realism perspective, that probably makes sense. You wouldn't want to clean a loaded gun. That would probably be pretty darn dangerous. But they really added some gore in there. It was it was much it was much more than what I would have expected. And same kind of thing as with Police Quest. If you don't frisk your suspect, you're going to die some way. If you don't if you do not do everything by the book, something bad is going to happen to you and, and somebody's going to appear on the screen and say, no, nope, you done screwed up and you're going to have to restart the game. If you haven't saved it recently, you're in for a little bit of rework. Anyway, eventually, going back to the story itself, you get involved in an event that forces you to take some time off from your job. And during that time, you team up with your father's ex-partner to help him solve the mystery of your father and mother's death from when you were a child. So, not to go into too many spoilers here, because I do appreciate the fact that there are people that may want to actually play this game. So, without going into too much of the story, um, here's the thing. All of the elements for a really worthwhile, convincing story were here. The opening story beats definitely felt like a police quest adventure game, and it was working for me. However, once you get into the second or third day of the game, things just start to come apart from my perspective. It's almost as though the developers had a strong starting idea, and they spent a bunch of time on that initial idea, 
but then they didn't really know how to get to the conclusion, so they just rushed it. For me, it actually felt like there were major chunks of the story missing. I would have much rather the narrative been more fully developed. As it stands, the story left me wanting more, which I guess is somewhat of a good thing, but it's not like I really would want a sequel. I just wanted the story to be complete, and I didn't feel like the story was complete. It just didn't lend itself to the kind of adventure experience I was looking for. I was absolutely disappointed with the narrative in Blue Force. It had a lot of promise early on, but it just fell flat as the game continued to play out. Moving on to playability and controls, you've pretty much had your typical point-and-click adventure gameplay here. The controls felt fine. There really isn't much to talk about. I played the game on a fairly typical DOS machine, and it worked well. For me, it installed well, it controlled well, and once again, I try to play all of my all of the games for this podcast on period-appropriate hardware, if we're talking about computer kind of stuff, or actual console, console hardware, if possible, if not emulation, but playing it the way the game was designed, no safe states, things like that. Anyway, I'm sure that uh, Blue Force would also work fine via emulation on DOSBox or Scum VM if anybody was going to play that, if they didn't actually have the discs or a period-appropriate computer to play it on. I think it's it's fine. I mean, you can't really... I guess you could screw up a point-and-click adventure game interface, but Blue Force was really nothing to write home about, nothing special. It was just a typical point-and-click adventure game from a controls perspective. So going on to the overall feel of playing the game... With all of those elements in place, the actual game is incredibly underwhelming to play. Basically, everything, or nearly everything, in the game felt like it was a half measure. Other than the graphics, the graphics were fine. I didn't have any real complaints about the graphics. Everything else felt like it was kind of like a half measure. It just didn't, it wasn't fully featured. It didn't get to where it needed to be. The music did not always fit with the scene. And that's one of those things where it's really irritating to me because it takes you out of the scene. It takes you out of the experience because if you don't have music that matches the action or the experience that you're seeing on the screen, it just makes it feel disjointed or just not connected. And that's what was happening to me with some of the music. It just didn't fit in well. The story, though was absolutely the worst aspect of the game. It was rushed and far-fetched, even by adventure game standards. Once again, I'm not going to talk about spoilers here, but basically, you have an opportunity to solve the, the case of your mother and father's death. It's been a cold case for 15 years. Nobody has been able to crack the case. Yet you come in, and over the period of four days... You figure out what's going on there. And I know all about the suspension of disbelief, but geez, that is pretty far-fetched. It also makes it seem like your father's partner must have literally been a moron to not put the pieces together sooner. Literally, he says in the game, he spent 15 years of his life trying to solve the case and he wasn't able to get anywhere. Yet you come in four days later, case is solved, boom, awesome and you're just a rookie you're a rookie cop come on that's just too that's too um far-fetched even for adventure game standards it's just too much i they could have done that way better they could have made it more nuanced not to say they couldn't have had the the whole narrative play out the same way or 
or had you be the hero in that story, they could absolutely have done that. But the way it was presented in the game, the way that they rolled it out in the game and the speed with which they moved through things without really developing a ton of the background or backstory that would be necessary to make it feel impactful was just, it just fell flat. I do have a few other points of contention. Um, For one, there was no dialogue system in the game. I mentioned earlier, we're going to talk about the dialogue system. Now is when we're going to do it. There was none. (laughs) There was no dialogue system. When we talked about the uh, old point-and-click adventure games or kind of the standard point-and-click adventure games where you would get a bunch of different topics that would appear in the screen and you click through the topics and ask your characters or ask different characters about different things, there was none of that. All you had was a talk bubble or a speech bubble and you would click on a character and you would talk. But you didn't have any options to select different dialogue responses or ask specific questions. You just clicked and talking happened. It felt terribly underwhelming. It was not nearly as deep as I would have liked. There was nothing, nothing about that dialogue system that was enjoyable, other than the fact that I guess you could talk to people, but it was too streamlined. It's like Tsunami went too far in the simple direction in comparison to their Sierra roots. There's definitely a way to streamline things. I'm not saying that Sierra is the gold standard, even though I love Sierra adventure titles. I'm not saying that there isn't room for improvement, but you got to pick the right areas to improve upon and to streamline. And basically making a dialogue system that has no interaction other than you clicking a button and no thought around it. You basically just click and the characters talk in whatever way they want to talk. I did not I did not think they should have done it like that, and it really detracted from the overall experience. Considering the general lack of difficulty in the game's puzzles, and I put that that word puzzles in quotes here because and we'll talk about that in a second. But adding extra elements that were too simple, like the non-existent dialogue system really took away from the overall feel of the game. And speaking of difficulty, there there was none. <laughs> there was nothing. There was no difficulty to speak of. Um, the only thing that you really had to worry about was following proper police procedure or you will die. Um, there is one sequence late in the game where things kind of get weird and you could potentially soft lock yourself if you don't have a prior save game. And me being me, I did just that, where I progressed far enough along and I didn't have a key item. It's actually that that long pole hook that I referenced earlier when we were talking about the overall item design. I didn't see it. I didn't know I needed it. I didn't know it existed. So I went a little bit further in the game and I reached a point where... I had to use that item in order to be successful. So I thought, well, I'll go back and I'll pick that item up because I obviously missed something. I go back, I pick the item up, but now my progress back to the area that I was in where I would need to use the item was blocked off to me. So I basically soft locked myself. There was no way I was going to be able to complete the game and the game did in fact fail. Luckily, I had a saved game saved probably maybe 15 minutes before that happened. So it wasn't a huge amount of time to go back and replay, but it was definitely irritating because it was just, it was kind of out there. It was not integrated with the rest of the puzzles. And like I said, the puzzles were pretty much non-existent. Um, it was just kind of weird. And I, I don't like soft locking in games. I know Sierra is infamous 
especially their early titles for basically you don't even know that something that you did something or missed something early on in the game and then you get later in the game and you can't actually complete it. This wasn't quite as egregious as the Sierra style that was prevalent in the earlier titles by the company, but it's still one of those things where I think it could have been avoided, especially now that you're in like 1993. Uh, People knew better at that point. They could have done that better, especially because they were trying to do things better than Sierra. And this was one of those areas where they could have, but they still messed up. I will say, though, I didn't notice any other situations where you could effectively trap yourself. Um, But in this particular example, the fact that there was just that one, that one area where I found myself, it should have been avoidable or designed differently to prevent that situation. I do want to say also that I also have an issue with the lack of interactivity in the various world locations that you can navigate to. Unless you have a reason to go somewhere, to go to a specific location, there's pretty much no real interactivity with any location across the world map. I will say that it was cool to be given free reign to drive anywhere I wanted in the city. And by drive, I mean click on a map and you automatically go to the spot that you clicked. So it's not like you had a real driving interface or an open world kind of thing. But if you get there and there's nothing to do once you get there, it's like, why have it be open? Just have it be gated like many other adventure games did where you only have access to locations where there's something important to do there. Otherwise, it just serves to detract once again from the experience and make it just feel disjointed or like they didn't really know what they were doing when they were developing the game. Bottom line, this felt like half of a Sierra title. I recognize that there was effort to make a quality experience, but for whatever reason, Blue Force just never got there for me. So, what is our verdict on Blue Force? I have to admit, I'm a little torn here. On one end, I actually enjoyed the beginning of the game. The beginning of the game had a lot of focus on dealing with various typical police situations and navigating those puzzles using police procedure. Once again, I loved the Police Quest games. That's an aspect of the games I really enjoyed. And the first day of Blue Force was focused almost entirely on those kind of quote-unquote puzzles in the game. So I really enjoyed the beginning of the experience. But those were literally the only general police situations included in the game before the story got started. And the story, like we talked about, fell completely flat. Because of that, and the general feel of this being a Sierra Light kind of title, I truly believe nobody needs to play this game. It, in fact, tarnishes some of Jim Wall's legacy that he had built through his creation of the Police Quest series. For those reasons, Blue Force should remain a footnote in gaming history. You do not need to experience this title. There's nothing here you haven't seen before, and if you've seen it before, you've probably seen it done better. There was definitely potential here, but the execution just wasn't there. Even back when it was released, the game wasn't good enough to be well-regarded. Fast forward 30 years, and there's even less here to enjoy. Take my word for it, you do not need to play this game. And this is coming from a Police Quest fan. Blue Force just isn't up to the task. Unfortunately, this one should be left to history.
that was our episode on Blue Force. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed creating it. If you'd like to reach out, let me know how I'm doing or have suggestions for future games. I would love to hear from you. I do have a Twitter handle. It is at Classic Gaming T. I also have an email address, ClassicGamingToday at gmail.com. So feel free to reach out, drop me a line, let me know how I'm doing or let me know what you're thinking. I am looking forward to hearing from all of you. Before we sign off for the week, I want to mention that our next episode is a big one. It is focused on Chrono Trigger, the Super Nintendo JRPG classic. So if anybody has any fond remembrances of that game or non-fond memories, feel free to write in. Let me know if you want to have your comments right on the show. Shoot me a note. I am definitely interested in hearing what you all think. At the same time, I recognize that this podcast lives pretty much wherever all podcasts live. And you can probably leave a review wherever you're listening to it. And if you feel so inclined, I would love if you did so. It's not about bolstering star counts. I legitimately want to know what everybody's thinking. I want to make sure we're creating the best possible podcast for all of us. And in order to do that, I need to get the feedback from the community to make sure that we're doing the right thing and we are making the best podcast possible. So if you feel inclined, please feel free to leave me a review. If you don't want to leave a review, just let me know how I'm doing. Send me some feedback. I am legitimately interested in hearing what you all think. We are still growing, trying to develop the community. I've had a great time so far. I hope you all have as well. We'll be back in around a week to talk about Chrono Trigger. Until then, remember, sometimes the games of the past are just as good, if not better, than the games of today. Goodbye, everyone. <laughs>